episode is brought to you by Squash Clothing and Sugar Life. Welcome to the Overly Excited Podcast, hosted by Jack Watts and Dale Sidebottom. Two friends with a passion for life, learning... And all things that get them jumping out of their seats. <laughs> all right, welcome back to the Overly Excited Podcast. We've got past episode 10 and we are extremely blessed today. We've got two beautiful guests, Kristen Gibbo, Gibbo Gibson from uh, Morty Sea Dippers. And Eddie Perfect, uh, extremely talented Australian writer, singer, songwriter, actor. What else can we throw in there? The lot. I don't know. The major coffee, coffee <laughs> barista, coffee. barista, barista, host, barista. That's sort of a general thing around this sort of area in Brunswick. It's very. Oh, look, uh, I think hip. also for an actor, you spend a lot of time being a barista. Before you're an actor, mm. do you? paying the bills, paying yeah. the bills. Yeah, Is that just part and parcel of it? Like, yeah, one of the gigs, you know, it sometimes sort of fits. I, it. Sometimes I think the whole industry, the whole job of being an actor, is like how poor, who stays, who can stay <laughs> poor the longest. You know what I mean? <laughs> who put up with it? <laughs> like a life where you don't earn any money, and when your destiny is completely under the control of somebody else, how long can you do that without going mm. insane? That's that seems to be a lot of the game. And for me, it was like. Not long, not long. I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna write. I'm gonna do my yeah. own stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, we like to start the podcast with a with a question for both of you. Kristen, we'll start with you. What gets you excited? What gets you excited? You know, Nothing it's about. reasonably PG here, Kristen. So <laughs> keep I'm it always above. PG. Jack, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> but in life, yeah. In what, life, what um, I reckon. Well, at the moment, I'd say cold water dipping, Morty Sea Dippers, and that community. Um, and jumping out of my comfort zone and meeting new people and doing fun things like this because why not? Mm. Life's short. I think you're very good at jumping out of your comfort zone. Am from I? What I've seen. Yeah, you you make everyone else feel very comfortable and you're oh. outgoing and a bundle of joy. So bundle of joy. Thanks for coming on the pod. I didn't thanks know you had me. a comfort zone. Really? <laughs> 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 Eddie. You're just like a big... Open-ended, an oval, a big football. <laughs> what, what do you call that? You always seem so calm everywhere you go, but then maybe I haven't seen you in like a. I don't Cry, know. Crying in the dark. At yeah. Home, right? yeah, not many people do see that. No. And no. How, how do you two know each other? How did you meet? How'd you we worked together on um off, uh, on Offspring on um on, what was it called? Gold, Gold diggers. diggers. Gold Diggers. Yeah. Uh, I'm the uh, I I am a nurse mm-hmm. who predominantly works in the operating theatre. Um, as a surgical nurse, but I'm also a nurse on location for TV and film. So I'm there just in case Eddie falls ill or no, any of the <laughs> actors or cast, crew or cast, um, yeah, get sick or any incidents or hand yeah. out double bangers. I find it, <laughs> mate, yeah, the double bangers was amazing. What's that? What's Brocca and Hydrolyte. Brocca and that. Hydrolyte <laughs> drinks that would just really get you through the day. And they're not just for hangovers, you know. No, I, I, well, I wasn't drinking and I appreciated exactly. them. They're more for like 15-hour days mm. standing in the Loddon River trying to shoot a weird period comedy piece. <laughs> yeah. Sounds very glamorous. Yeah. It was fun actually. It, it was, was a fun thing to make and we got to shoot gold diggers on actual location, like gold rush locations yeah, in Victoria. In, um, was that Malden? Malden, which is a crazy town. If you haven't yeah. been to Malden, go to Malden. But the, but the real winner was this Porcupine Village thing, mm. which is near Porcupine Ridge and is a replica gold rush town. That was created, and I think it's almost open, or it's just been open, or something. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a, to rival Sovereign Hill. It's like a, basically like a big town 
that is one giant Instagram opportunity. Yeah. Uh, Go along. Yeah, that's pretty smart. Day Straight. one when I got there, I was like, wow, they built all this just for gold diggers? And then I realised <laughs> it was yeah. really there. Yeah, yeah. Is it uh, much warmer than Ballarat? So I went to university there and as beautiful and scenic and lovely as it is, it's. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty happy to leave and I don't think I'd ever go back to leave. It's that cold. It is so cold oh. and, yeah, mm. yeah, it's bleak. But it it's not like that. It's not like that where we were. It was quite, it was, you know, up and down. But it was... That that was a one of the locations, Porcupine Village, Malden. There was a couple of others um, that were around that sort of area, Man- Mansfield, mm. sort of mm. Macedon, Macedon Rangers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Macedon area. Mansfield yeah. was very cold too. If we're yeah. going to do a bit of a regional, uh, is that weather, in Gippsland? Is that? Nah, it's, no, uh, where is that? That's oh. like down the ski fields way. Oh, that's yeah, right. I went past there, there on the way to Bright. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Most people go there. So, Eddie, what about you, mate? What gets you just bubbling, excited, jumping out of your seat? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst answer ever. <laughs> Come on, mate. For a man that's performed in front of thousands, Come he's done on. it all. But... Yeah. yeah, no, that doesn't. That doesn't. <laughs> no. That, does that turn into work? Does it eventually, like. Well, you know, I get nerve. I get ner- yeah. I certainly get nervous, but I don't get like a okay. So um, the thing that gets me really like a like a real thrill, a real joy thrill is um, you know when I write something and then we do it for the first time, mm. or, or like um, there are a couple of moments. All of it's all of the creation of a new musical or a new theatre piece is really exciting, but a lot of it is quite tedious and working it out. But the first performance, the alchemy between the thing that you've written and created in the room with actors and then you're inflicting that on actual com- strangers in a room mm. that's what you that's the alchemy that you're you're working towards the entire time to make something that that is a believable world that has believable characters with believable choices and um, that it's surprising and funny and w- whatever you're setting out to do and because i write comedy usually hearing strangers laugh is the, is a joyous moment. But then the other joyous thing for an any musical theatre composer or writer will tell you the same thing is that um, the first time uh, the cast and the orchestra perform together is called the Sitzprobe, which is a German word for sit- seated rehearsal. And um, there are no costumes, there are no sets, there's no blocking, you don't get on the floor and do it. There are just a bunch of microphones and then there's the orchestra. And you get to hear, the cast get to hear all the arrangements of the songs and get to sing with the orchestra for the first time. And it's like taking an idea from being black and white and then making it full technicolour. It's a very exciting, Mm. it's a very exciting moment no matter the show. No matter how big a failure the show is, that (laughs) moment is a pure moment and that that gets me going. But... Geez, that's a, that's the tip of a fucking huge iceberg. Yeah. It's a lot. It's multiple years to get to that tip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the only thing that I, yeah, there you go. The things that really get me going happen every five years. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really like that creative, like because you, you are super creative, aren't you? Like that's you know that's what you're doing, and yeah. a lot of things you create, you don't always see what happens with them. But every now and then, that creative, like if something you created, um, mm. all those juices come out. That must be really rewarding. So do you do you obviously find that more enjoyable than you know playing a role or something that you yeah. haven't done that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I um as soon as as soon as I and it was when I was at drama school, I put my hand up to write a show rather than perform a show, and when it was just like me at the piano and the first year students, it was eighteen of those musical theatre students, and we performed for the rest of the the cohort and. Um, 
I remember thinking, oh, this is better. This is better than performing. And then from that on, I still that time on, I, I still love performing, but I don't get as much joy as I get from making something, creating something and having people enter into that. So what about um, the show that most people know, um, one of the biggest shows, Offspring? Did you get mm. a kick out of that? I did, but television, you would know this because we having worked on set. The- I come from the... The theatre background, and when in theatre, you know you you get your beginners call. The curtain goes up for however long the show goes. You, you're on your own. You, mm. You've built a performance, and you have to make everything make sense from one moment to the next. And um, there's no one telling you cut. Yeah, and you yeah. and you and how you navigate that two and a half hours or whatever it is, and the energy of that, and taking people on a journey is is really the 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 thrill of um storytelling i think and then and then tv is really interesting film and tv is really interesting because they travel further you're not going to be there to do it and it's a constructed art form mm. so it's kind of like the difference between i feel like theater and um, film and tv for me is like making a jigsaw puzzle you know i take this piece and i'll stick it there and those two things together are interesting and we'll act in you know we'll we'll act for three minutes out of 15 hours in a day mm. and you know, we'll do a little, do a scene, and then we'll say cut, and then we'll go and do it again, and we'll sh- we'll do it from, you know, we'll shoot it from the uh, wide, or we'll do it close. And now it's your shot, and you're, so you're kind of always trying to create a performance and something that's believable, but there's but there's no alchemy between you and the mm. audience, and so that happens in the editing room, and then it's sort of like a bigger, you're a smaller cog within a larger wheel. Yeah. Whereas you know. Uh, to continue the jigsaw Buzz analogy, I find theatre is more like painting a painting. Everyone just gets uh, the fuck out of here. That's what we were talking about mm. on the way here, weren't we? Yeah. What's his, one of what's his, um, bucket your list bucket items. list is to be on stage I as just, a tree. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah, we were sort of saying, because I, I think it's because I've got zero talent or creativity whatsoever, you know. Really? Yeah. I beg just, to differ. You don't well, know that. You just probably haven't had the opportunity just, to do that. Yeah, potentially. But I guess my life has been sport, you that's know. That's the story you've told yourself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that great Australian thing, if you do sport, you can't be creative. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just haven't had ever put any time towards it. But, yeah. you know, it's like probably my favourite thing in life to do is go to a live gig or go to the theatre. And it's like... I just find the emotion that it draws from me personally is like nothing else. Like mm. I can't, you know, you, you know, sit there and I'm just in tears or I'm like I've never felt that happy and joyful watching something or I'm, you know, just all those kind of emotions. But um, so, yeah, I guess hopefully by the end of my days that I, I'm pretty keen just to get just that that feeling of like, I don't know, and I don't know what it feels like, but before a show or after a show with the whole team, and as you said, the difference between like TV and a, and a live performance, I just think would be worlds apart because... Do you think about sport like when you're about to go and play a game and think about a, a, an especially high-pressure mm. game, That what is your feeling before you have to go and play that game? Like It's interesting because that's what I sort of said, asked you earlier, like does it ever turn into work? Because I guess for me, footy, like sport, it ended up becoming almost work and... And you look back on it and you're playing in front of 60,000, 70,000 people. But like in my head, I, I'm looking, I'm thinking, oh, I wish I could perform at a show in front of, you know, a couple of hundred people. Like that would be the adrenaline rush of a lifetime. Yeah. Whereas for, with the footy, I, I just don't think I really felt it quite, I don't know. Is it because you don't know what's going to happen when you get out there? Like, and, or do you have expectations? Do you go, oh, I, 
this game I've got to get a certain mm. amount of touches or marks or possessions or whatever. I guess you just get used to it when you're doing it every week. Yeah, it was sort of – I mean, you still – obviously there's that rush and the nerves, as you said, and, you know, I mean, I haven't played for many years now, so it's sort of – I'm starting to struggle to remember what it felt like, you yeah, know, right. pre-game. But, um, yeah, like the nerves and the excitement and the anticipation and the hope of, you know, far out, we can get this one done, we can win. or And, you know, and that 20 minutes after a game, you know, that was always the, the best time, of, you know, 20 minutes after a win – with your mates and the team that you've put all this hard work into and effort and that was like the special time for me, you know, like. What happens after the 20 minutes? Does everyone just go home? Yeah, yeah, see you later. Everyone's Alarm like, goes off and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see you later. See you, you probably think the same thing, you know, like it's always what you don't have or the grass mm. is greener. Yeah. Like, you know, probably in theatre or TV, they're like, oh, imagine running out to MCG, how amazing it would be. Mm. Yeah, it's, they're probably similar emotions and feelings. Mm. It's just. I don't know, when you're caught up in something, you only know that, you don't know the other thing. Yeah. Do you get people, yeah. particularly like when you're mentioning, you know, between theatre and TV, like you wouldn't think TV was just like it's pretty slow and you don't see the process where it's theatre you do. Like people don't understand what you do in a way. Yeah, and I don't really, I mean it's, it's there is a whole different bunch of skills that an actor has when they do film and TV and I, I think we often forget that when we look at like movie stars. We you know, we have there are some movie stars that we go. We love them because they're really great actors. So you know, I'm just pull name. You know, your Pacino's or your De Niro's or whatever people that you go or Kate Blanchett. When I watch a film mm-hmm. with that actor, you know, um, Bradley Cooper, we're going to see some really top notch acting here. That's what it's about. And other film stars are more like you know, they're just sort of attractive people who do the same thing over and over again. We still love them as well. But even in that, there's a huge amount of of really finite skills about understanding how a scene is is shot, um, how to regulate um, your energy uh, when you are shooting the scene so that you don't – If okay, so say the scene is um, my character is at a funeral and is mm. saying a, a, a eulogy and then they break down in, in tears. Now, you don't want to get to the emotional intensity of that moment when they're shooting the wide, when they're right out wide because – you know, if they, when it comes to emotion, we want to be close and that's what film gives us. It gives us a lens that can get like right up on our face and read every single tiny nuance of emotion. So the acting is very small and very real. If you blow all of your tears in the wide shot when no one can see them by the time you get to your close-up, you're totally run ragged. Then um, you're not going to get the scene that you want. But then when you're starting out in film and TV, you don't decide when your <laughs> moment is and, and nor do they even really tell you. They don't, they don't go, look, we're going to do two shot, two scenes in the wide. Mm. We're going to probably get some coverage in here. We're going to get to do the scene three more times shooting other people and maybe after seven takes we'll swing around onto you and then it'll be your moment. No one tells you that. So you just kind of got to go, where are the cameras? What what are you shooting? And then sneak around, look at the monitors. What, how far out are you? Okay, and and you so you learn that really quickly. And I've seen actors. I've done it. Other actors have done it. Where you like blow all of your mm. tears on all of these shots that don't matter. And then when you get really famous or influential or powerful, or you're the person on set that everybody listens to, then you can go. I think I want to do my close-up like at this point in the thing. And that's mm. different for every actor. Like I want to go first, I want to get the close-up and then we can go wide and I can just chill the hell out. Or 
no, I need like five takes and then I'm going to hit it and then I don't want to do it anymore. It's very weird. That's crazy. So have you got like a process where you listen to sad music or think of like yeah, when a family a member dies? Yeah. Or Okay. No, no. but I'm not a very, um, but I'm not a very good actor, and I don't really care. <laughs> Come on, Come no, on. it's true. I don't actually. You know that there are. I, I would put my, and this is not like, you know, I enjoy acting, and I especially enjoy comedy. I think I've probably got a, I'm, I'm a bit better with comedy, but um, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a passion to act, which is probably not More something you're supposed to say that. out loud that much. But I, <laughs> I really love acting, but um, it doesn't kind of. Consume me, and yeah. and I know as a I know because I work with other actors when I write things, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate those actors who always thinking about it and obsessing about it, and how do I get this? And oh, this was well, terrible, and was, you know they really that's the actor you want working on your material. It's funny because yeah. you think like when I before I became a nurse on location, you think actors just act, you know, they just go right, cameras on, they're acting. Mm. There's so much more. They're away from their families, mm. you know, their mental health. They're working long hours. They're practicing. Their, you don't agree? Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. the whole thing's batshit crazy. Yeah, it's it is batshit so crazy. Weird. And it's expensive to make, and there's just hundreds of people hanging around getting paid, and so every minute mm. is important. So much money, isn't it? Yeah. So the stress and the pressure and the. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, uh, how many how many sets have you been on now doing this? Quite a few. I've been doing it for maybe three years now with nurses on location. I just came back from the NT. Oh yeah, for, so it's um, enough time to see how different sets have different atmospheres yep. and different dynamics between people. Yeah, and you with your barocas, you know, <laughs> your double bangers, <laughs> double bangers, like double you, banger. You know, you're probably similar in a similar zone to like you know hair and makeup, where they they cop a lot of the actors. Yeah, Stuff. and that's what people don't see, like the mental health um, mm. and keeping people well. But in the NT, because it's so hot, we were going through, I think, about 180 crew, going through like 800 litres of water a day. And oh the God. only way to get that, to get the cast and crew to drink the water is to literally hand them in cups. Mm. Um, so, yep. you you know, preventing the preventable. Mm. Um, you know, keeping people, that's what I love about the nurse on set is it's, around keeping people well opposed to working in the hospitals, treating the ill or... Oh, yeah. yeah. But do you ever go, like, because we used to talk a lot on set and it blows my mind the difference between, you know, the the, the the range of your job because, you know, I think that personally standing in an emergency surgery as a, as a nurse is probably the most confronting thing I could ever imagine. Talk about, like, you don't know what's coming through the door, unpredictable... You know, d- disturbing. I imagine. Yeah, can be. Yep. And then <laughs> you go on a bunch, hang out with a bunch <laughs> of middle class actors with <laughs> first world problems who are like, "This director was mean to me." <laughs> you know, isn't it? No, but don't you, you know, just feel like we're idiots. The va- no, see, the vast difference. What I love, you go into nursing, or you go. I go for a shift at the theater, at the operating theater, right? And generally, you know, nurses, healthcare workers are exhausted. They're tired. You know, unfortunately, nurses are one of the worst for, um, I don't know, being unkind to other nurses. And other oh, really? Oh, and to themselves. Mm. And to themselves. Yeah. And, and you know, probably it comes from being exhausted and it is a tough job. Is that the culture but of medicine though as well, how you learn? Is it like being a chef where you get yelled at a yeah, lot? maybe. But, um, you know, you turn up to, to a hospital... And, you know, you're there, do your job. You turn up on set, everyone's there to have the best day. 
you know, it's generally a happy vibe. Mm. Yeah. Like, see, I, I've got, you know, when I work at Sandringham Hospital, mm. for instance, I've got my rainbow glitter gumboots that I walk in and, you know, the grumpy people go, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Roll the eyes. I, Kristen's you know, back. <laughs> <laughs> but I just let, I, I don't know, whatever I'm going through in life, I leave my woes at the door and just try and have the greatest day I can in that situation, whether it's on set or in the hospital. I love both. I think I've always, like, admired nurses and so much because of that my mum's a nurse i've had ex-partners who've all been nurses and like for me personally i just wouldn't be able to do it because i've been in plenty of hospitals myself but it's such as you said it's like a negative environment mm. and everyone you're dealing with they're all stressed out of their minds because yeah. they've been there and they've been waiting for you know an hour or whatever in the and it's like to them like yeah they're having the worst day they're either sick or they're in pain or they're with a loved one that's and so they get to you and it's like you're only trying to help them but they're so frustrated mm. already and I think like, I don't know, it's, I, for me I wouldn't be able to do it because like that I energy sp- and the... I suppose you and I try and think of it as if I can make a small difference mm. in, you know, someone who's going through a tough time. But then there's a lot of joy like I assist with a lot of caesareans. Mm. You know, yesterday I worked and delivered a few babies. Um, two were called Jack, actually. Oh. I'm only joking. They were. Ah. <laughs> 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 um, no, but there's a, there is a lot of joy too. Mm. But um, yeah. and cataract surgeries, you yeah. know, it's life changing in 30 minutes. You're giving someone their vision back. Yeah. So it's not all bad. Yeah. Mm. I suppose that's your perception of what people think is yeah, good and bad. Right. Yeah. People judge, like we were saying, you think a musical's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Other people think running AMCG is amazing. You know, we always make assumptions when we don't know what's going on. Yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, if, if, if you know, the very specific Thanos cl- clicked his fingers and an industry disappeared, I would rather my industry disappeared <laughs> than <laughs> yours. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to give up my, my nursing. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. you need nurses, and like, yeah. uh, often, I mean, I you know, when those those horrible moments when you do need like emergency healthcare, yeah. and it is really scary, mm. and you do have healthcare professionals who are doing these miraculous things and and taking on boards such huge stress and and saving lives. Mm. It's so miraculous. And I then, said to my wife, "Oh, I want to be a paramedic," and she was like. She's very encouraging of me and all things. <laughs> she was, and she was like, hmm. "You would, t- you, you know, you panic." And, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, imagine that <laughs> turning up. What the fuck's going <laughs> on? Oh, oh shit! Oh my god! Oh god, you're gonna die! Like, you're gonna die! I'm out of here! Oh, oh, oh fuck! I can't, I can't deal with this. <laughs> Time of death. I'm, I'm out, guys. And then, who hired that guy? <laughs> I get the other thing I find interesting is like the disparity of of pay for these jobs. You know, oh, like same, no. as, same as footy. Like we chase I this know. little pigskin around, and <laughs> you know, like you're getting paid shitloads, and the people that are saving lives, and yep. the, you know, yep, I get paid bottom of the barrel over here. <laughs> it's I'm getting paid today, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we'll figure that out. Jack, Jack <laughs> played Podcast, footy. Mate. You saw that out. You'll give me sign footy mm, or something. Mm. It's horrendous, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's yeah. I know. Yeah, see, I like so I'm not permanent anywhere. I'm casual and agency nursing, and then I do pick up gigs on set. And my husband said, I don't know how you rock up to work every day meeting new people. It's his worst nightmare. He just loves his routine. Mm. And he's got a great job, loves his job. But I think that's what I love is that I don't know what each day will bring. Yeah. The unknown. The unknown. Yeah. Out of my comfort zone. Yeah. I do have a comfort zone, see? You mm-hmm. do. I think. <laughs> it's just fucking <laughs> ginormous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, now, Eddie, I'm, I love hearing... 
people don't just get where they are for no reason. Mm. Um, did you like have a role model or role models or someone that inspired you to sort of go down the path of acting and directing? And creating? Yeah, I mean, my my, my I mean, I, I do generally tell people that I sort of fell ass backwards into being a musical theatre composer and lyricist, but my journey was sort of started out wanting to be a visual artist. Had didn't really have a had a lot of skill but nothing to say and so and then also I was doing singing and I had a, a pretty serious singing teacher and he was like you should pursue your voice while you're young because you can always come back to art and I was like that makes sense so I went to Melbourne Uni and I did half a, a two years of a bachelor of music in classical singing but I found the whole classical music world very oppressive and um it was a culture of fear basically and I'm like that's not interesting to me um so I Went to the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts as a musical theatre student over in Perth. And while I was there, I also wrote for the theatre, wrote songs for the theatre. It was my first sort of um, time trying to work out um, what it was like to write songs for the theatre. And I found that I had a, an aptitude for it and I was good at it, even though I've never studied lyric writing or composition or any of that stuff. And... And I was like, oh, this is good. I'm going to keep doing that and performing. And then I wrote a lot of comedy, a lot of one-man sort of shows and toured them around. And then that was a really good training ground for writing musicals. Wrote my first musical, Shane Warne, the musical in 2007. And then... The King. Since then, yeah, I know. And since then I've been writing, um, you know, I, I went over to New York and got on that great big writer list in, in Broadway. And, and now I sort of have a career writing musicals in Australia and... And here it's a very solitary kind of um, existence but it's like you make yourself lonely and you write and you write your way back to people. That's the way I sort of oh, see yeah. it. Mm, yeah. yeah, Interesting. That, uh, sorry, you go, Jake. I was going to ask, have you ever had sort of stuff that you've written or produced that you think is going to be amazing and it flops and st some stuff that you think, oh, that's garbage and then it just goes bananas? Like that creative... Um, I don't know, I always find it interesting with music, especially, you know, I've got a few mates in bands and stuff and they write albums and they don't know which one's going to be good or well-received. Yeah, yeah. I, that's the, I, I, success is, everyone wants success, mm. but success actually can, I've seen success really derail people like creatively because I think there's a truth when you start out writing is that you don't have a, um, you know, you might have ideas, but you don't have a your own craft of how you how how do I write something and how do I stick at it and how do I stay focused and how do I have all of it in my head at the one time so I can see all parts of it and make it a good quality thing. And so when you start writing, you're sort of a little bit scared of writing because you're like, oh god, what if that's it? What if that's the only song I have or the only idea I have? And what if this is you know all that sort of stuff? And then after a while of doing it, you get to a point where I know if I sit at the piano or I sit at my laptop that I can generate work and it's about consistency and doing things all the time. It's not just about flashes of inspiration. And that came about because I live in Australia. There's no Broadway here. There's no mu there's no musical theatre industry, local creative musical theatre industry. So every time you make an Australian musical, it's an anomaly. You're reinventing the wheel and you have to put it out. And um, there aren't that many people, so you can do a little tour of a solo show, but then you have to go back and write another one. Um, and I think that, that that lack of people and lack of sort of like taking off as a successful act really early on meant that I got over that fear of writing very quickly and 
I kind of expect things to not do very well, um, but I have high expectations that everything I write is something that is at least a bit of a big swing. So not I, I'm not trapped by, oh, uh, uh, I have to do this because I have this audience waiting to see my stuff. I've never really had a kind of a rusted on audience that I have to please. And so every time I go out to do something, I'm like, well, the what's the upside of a lack of success? The upside is, is creative freedom. Mm. So whenever you go out there, you go, well, I'm going to just take a big swing and people are either going to enjoy it or not. Mm. Beetlejuice that I, is the musical I wrote on Broadway and that's the first time I've made something that's sort of like globally successful and popular. And it's the first time I've written music that people in Australia know about and that's because I had to go over to New York and you know, work in that great big sandpit over there. Um, so now that things are, uh, you know, now that I can create things and I can focus on that full time, I actually still try to be risky. I try to keep that risk-taking element as part of it. Otherwise, um, what's the point? You, you've got you to throw something into the pot that, mm. that enriches the pot, I yeah. think. I suppose it's like they say, you never grow Within your comfort zone, do you? Mm. No, you don't. But that's the thing about risk that everyone doesn't. Everyone's like, "Oh, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta take a risk." But the thing that people forget about risks is that is that they're risky and, they're, and <laughs> yeah. they, they lead, they lead to that. failure. You know what I mean? <laughs> Funny that. We all think, "Oh, you just take a risk and it pays off," but a lot of risks don't yeah. pay off. Yeah, but people don't always see those. Or they not no. that they don't see them, Eddie. They probably don't want to see those because then they're like, oh, I should take one too. But it's mm. easier just to see the things you've done well and pay off. Yeah. Like, also, you know, I think it might be true on, of sport too. I'm not sure. But like if you go, oh, um, I want to change the way I play or the way I approach my art um, in this fundamental way, but there's going to be a transition period where I'm, I'm a bit awkward, um, then you get met very quickly with what <laughs> what is important to you. Is it just being immediately liked and mm. respected all the time, or can you risk being unlikable and weird and ugly and, and, and so you can find something on the other mm. side? That's tricky. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Probably having the confidence, like you'd know that that yeah, like having the confidence to believe in yourself and give you that space. Yeah, you will have people that will definitely bag you, and like also, no doubt, because you're doing something different. Mm. I think as well, it's like, um, I don't know if this is true for you, but I guess maybe did it become easier to take risks once you'd got a bit more security and reputation and a bit more, or, you know, taking a risk from a place of not really having a safety net is a lot more scary than knowing, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think when I was really young, I didn't, I was, I didn't really think about it too much and so I took huge sort of swings <laughs> and I now look back at them yeah. now and I'm like oh, <laughs> you wouldn't do yeah. that now <laughs> well I don't know it's like some, you but that's where the brilliance a lot of the brilliance comes yeah. from when you've got nothing to lose and you just go for it whereas once you get to that point it's like I don't know musicians and they they write this first amazing album and then it's like they're locked in you've got to write this next one within the next nine months it's like fuck like I know these parameters and like that's I find that terrifying because yeah. what people don't really realize about a first album is it's normally the accumulation of an entire lifetime <laughs> worth of ideas and a huge amount of time spent polishing and interrogating those those ideas mm. and performing them live and seeing getting feedback on those ideas and then you're like in the studio and you've got a few months to write a yeah. new album and it's not tested and it's not lived with and it's you know it's 
really hard. Same yeah. with novels, I think. Second novels are, mm. always feel like the, they are, have less ideas. And also I feel like, you know, first novel's got the authors, all the authors' ideas, but it's also at the point where they are the least tested and so their editor will be like, change this, this doesn't work. There's a lot of pushback. Yeah. And then that novel might be really successful. And the second novel has less ideas plus you're this big shot now that less can't be told. Back. Because that first novel was so successful and so you kind of like go on your own and it's unwieldy and it's not mm. tight and it's all those sorts of things. So um, I feel like my to go back to the idea of success, I think there's this, there's this perfect amount of success and I'm always, always trying to find an analogy for it but it's like I don't need to be on, on the dais on the number one thing with the gold medal around my neck. I just didn't need to end on that fucking podium somewhere. Yeah. So I get invited back to the race. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then, perfect amount of success. Was that a pun? No, that's, <laughs> I don't see the puns <laughs> anymore. <laughs> it's been very normalised. <laughs> Forty-five years of normalisation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, there's a there, if you get everything all at once and you go and you're like, this is great. I can tour mm. this album or this show or this book or whatever forever and I never have to return to the fear of mm. the blank page again, then you'll avoid it and then and that will affect you as a as a writer. So I think this is, there's some argument for not getting too successful too quickly. Mm, so true. About, like um, with theatre and acting and stuff, like, um, you know, is there much, um, you know, alcohol abuse, as in, as a whole, because, you know, I see, I work on set and work with a lot of young, older, I find the younger actors coming through are pretty, um, you know, they're generally not really drinkers, they're pretty healthy, yeah. healthier than the older ones, yeah. you know, smashing and getting into character for their hungover scene the next day. Yeah, it's interesting that. I don't, um, I, I feel like booze was a big part of being a um you know, drugs and alcohol are a big part of being a performer, especially because, you know, I was a comedian and mm. and I've also been like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to I, I want to be there at the party. I want to see what's going on, you know. Mm. And that also uses a way to connect to people mm. and a really effective way to connect with people, you know, to be out with people, drinking with people. I did that all over. It's, it's, a, it's, like, a, it's like Esperanto. It's like a universal language, you know, of going out, drinking with people. And I was really good at it. Probably, yeah. probably, such a probably thing. still am. <laughs> and uh, and so that meant that you know I go out with people and you know hold my end up and that's that used to be a part of not just um, Australian culture but you know going to the U- U- big in the UK US it's slightly less but there is still like um, um, are you fun and dynamic and you know you don't want to be the guy that's like quiet in the corner so I was always sort of out there amongst it and I made a lot of good connections with people Mm. and alcohol and drugs were a way that that was sort of lubricated I guess um but now I'm I don't I think there's less of a culture of that now less of when we met on set you I think you'd stopped you hadn't had a drink in a week to start with yeah on gold diggers yeah decided for whatever Mm. reason um, and then I remember seeing you at the rap party and you were just as fun, if not funner, than everyone else there. Yeah, no, I had a good time. Involved. I, yeah, it's it's interesting to me because um, uh, there are lots of like, there are lots of reasons for 
you know, drinking and some of it's social. But as you get older and you've got kids and you're sort of at home, I found find myself drinking at home a lot and then I'm like... I've spoken about this. It's yeah, we spoke about it on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. And you look in the mirror and you're all of a sudden you're like, I'm drinking every night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you're just oh, yeah. like, it, is it, it's not just a parent thing, is it? Like, did is that when it sort yeah, of started big, for you? I think it's because it's like um, as a as a drug, alcohol is a really interesting one in in how it in how it works and i know you know it's it's a depressant but what it's really good at doing is just putting a a, a fence around all of your (laughs) issues and your anxieties (laughs) and beautiful taliban fence you know what i mean (laughs) safe too and you're like okay well that's that's i don't have to worry about that now Mm. Uh, it's like it's the off switch you know i'm turning off for the night and this is what i'm doing so um I just and then it just sort of creeps up, and mm. then everybody, I think everybody, especially in Mel- in Melbourne, you know, what happens if I drink all the time? <laughs> and then you work that out, and you're like, well, that's not great either. And, and uh, I don't think I want that. We so, literally had that conversation oh, in the car on the way here. Well, you know, like if you're a person that's like able to moderate, um, you know, I I just have a couple of drinks and then that's it. I'm like, What's he? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really good at moderating <laughs> over here. It's so weird. So I, I, I've never been great at that. So it's just a lot easier for me to just not drink mm. at all. And then after a while, it sort of, it's just, it's a very habitual thing. But I do have a, I just can't handle the idea of like just having my hands on the steering wheel and being completely compass mentis a hundred percent of the time. That drives me mm. crazy because I, you know, I like to. You know, I like to be able to listen to music or go, you know, still go out or just to kind of let loose and stuff like that. So, how do you find those mm. altered yeah, states when you don't drink booze? And what are you going to get out there, be like three again and just do spin, spin around like on the, <laughs> well, sure, on the basketball be, court? Hello. <laughs> All these adults, like just. Surely, if anyone can do that, it's, it's your profession. <laughs> Who wants like, to go for a spin? Yeah. <laughs> that's where, that's where um, cold water dipping comes in. Exactly. Cold water dipping, exactly, so is a grown up way of it is. like. So, yeah. ice baths and cold water dipping, yeah. getting back to Morty Sea Dippers, it's something like. You sent me that 2.5. Two 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 not that yeah. I've ever had cocaine, kids. I've never tried that drug. Um, that. Only I just like the smell. 2.5 times the kick that cocaine gives you and Mm. it lasts three times the amount or Mm. something. So, you know, if I'm going for a night out now, I might, you know, just jump in the ice bath and dump the ocean. I've seen that same start and I'm sort of a little bit questionable about it. So have you you thought about doing both at the one time? (laughs) (laughs) I'll imagine how good that would be. Um, No, but... But you've loved your, your cold dipping and loved it's sort it. of, yeah, at a time in your life where you probably needed it and Definitely. it gives you that community and and like that thrill of – and it, that's the whole point. It's like as when you were saying before, Eddie, it's like that alcohol and drugs and stuff, it's that connection. And for me, it's like that's what I really struggle with because I'm sort of all or nothing. So at the moment, like we're doing sober October, you yeah. Know, it's so- like my October, so- no. October, October, October is a different day one. Yeah, Kristen's so jumped five on. Days late. So you got the withdrawals, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, for me, I think it's that fear of like missing out on, you know, it's like I know that it's not great for me, like when I'm right in it, and it's you know, it's way more negatives than positives. But then it's just that fear of like missing out on the connection of a night where, as you said, you go to a yeah. gig or you go to some, or you, you know, 
are you going to miss out on that forever if you're not drinking? Or Gotcha. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm boring. I'm kind of boring. I, you know, like a lot of that is about, you know, finding a partner and finding your life. tribe yeah, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I've, you know, I feel like I've done that. And now yeah. it's really just like, Walking my dog, that's yeah. what you know what I mean. Yeah, okay. On a secret, one of my favorite things to do is is to walk my dog, listen to music, smoke a joint, and take photographs. That's what, yes, yes. Photos, you do I go by the creek, take photos of things. Oh. I listen to music, I write, uh, walk my dog, I wrestle with my dog. I spend hours like just fighting my dog <laughs> next to a creek. <laughs> I really want to see this. Do you have photos of that? That could it's be a hard. musical. That could be a musical there. And I'm like, that's you know, that, that's a, that's what I that's what I enjoy to do. Yeah. I think having a vice and being able to, you know, yeah, whatever floats your boat. What it's what gets you up and about. It's right? yeah, that's right. See? in the excited that's what gets arena. The excited arena. Well, yeah, the things that get me excited, like on a day to day thing, are like, I mean, I wrote a really good lyric the other day, and I was just like, yes, I was like shouting, you know, like I was like, yes, and um. <laughs> And I just took the rest of the day off. I was like, that's, <laughs> that's done. That's, that's done. You know, there are things that excite me because it's like, you know, um, it is weird. It is a weird weird kind of lonely existence and you make big discoveries on your own mm. and it's good to celebrate those, I think, yeah. you know. I think yeah. that's uh, – I think like I'm similar. I work for myself and you you don't really have that team or tribe around you to celebrate things but – also very important not to suppress that gratitude and say I'll be happy when, you know, like to celebrate those moments. Mm. But it's also weird celebrating by yourself. Yeah. Like it's it's really strange when you talk. I'm resonating with a lot you're saying. I've got two kids as well and walking the dogs. I do it every morning and I really enjoy that. But like, you know, the difference in life, the joys, they're different now. You know, yeah. it's sort of accepting those. I don't know. It's not accepting them but you move on. Like do you mm. find – that it's strange what you do now. You would have looked back 20 years ago and thought, wow, that's a bit sad. Like that's a sad existence in a yeah, way. Yeah, and there are things that are like, uh, yeah. So I would put in the, including the list of things that I probably thought was sad were like spend a lot of time looking at real estate on <laughs> domain.com or realestate.com. <laughs> It's like a really embarrassing oh, middle class no, thing. No, it's not. I think we all do it. It's the we best going. stop and look at plants and flowers a lot yeah. more. And I used to think, oh, my God, kill me if that ever happens. <laughs> <laughs> I just talked to other people and their dogs about their dogs. Yeah. Like for a long time, <laughs> long time. And I really enjoyed that. It's sort of, yeah, it's like a, it's a lot simpler really. Mm. Well, I love just talking to people. Mm. And that's, I think, how we met. We yeah. met in Morty on a, you know, Saturday night. I think it was Morty uh, Fest Morty Morty was on that yeah. night. I actually asked for a photo first to send to the family because they're big fans, mm. my hubby and two kids of Wotsy. Um, Scraping the barrel there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they are. <laughs> and you are. Forget about footy. You're mm. a, um, you're a, like a, a big, soft, cuddly um, Labrador. Mm. Oh, yeah. You're very likeable. I would have given you plenty of hugs that night. I think I was, <laughs> I, I was moving pretty well <laughs> that night by memory. <laughs> no. Nah. I now Eddie. I must admit, I didn't really know much about you before the sh- yeah. you did the Shane Warne musical. Yeah. And like the reason being, like he was a king. And totally. did you, when you thought of that, did you think who's the one thing I could make a musical on in the city that idolizes one person? And you did that. Well, like, it, was, it was amazing. I think you know what I. What I did unconsciously was was just 
you know, in in real time was discover the Venn diagram where musical theatre and cricket intersects. And it's really fucking skinny, I tell you that, mate. <laughs> 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 mate, I don't just put more no one in. No one Turns out, not a good idea. <laughs> uh, but it's very hard There's to find. There's one here. There's one here. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to find um, an idea that you that, that you love as a writer that you go, because it takes years to write a musical. And I think Shame on the Musical took me a long time, but it actually from Go to Woe, I think it was about four years, whereas... Beetlejuice was like six years, I think, five and a half, wow. six years. And um, you're not working on that show all the time while you're doing that. But I wrote Shame on the Musical because I was, I've always been a little bit like, you know, um, what's a nice way of putting it? Like kind of provocative. I wanted to find an idea that that didn't seem like it would work for yeah. a musical of a, of a person that um, that is – about as far away from the world of musical theatre as you could imagine and a person about which at the time I felt um, there was a lot of um, divisive uh, uh, response to him as a person and some of it, a lot of it I rubbed me up the wrong way because it was it was real um, moral outrage and I was like, what, where, what is this? When I, so I was like, okay, well, let's just look at it objectively. If a guy... If a, if a major sports person cheats on their wife, why do they have to apologise to me? Do you know what I mean? Why yeah, do they have to go on a current affair and go, I'm really sorry? I, I thought that's really weird. That like weird. I don't. He needs to apologise to the people in his life, but he doesn't need to apologise to me. But he was the first Australian sports person that was like that sort of hook, line and sinker for better or worse was a, was a brand, mm. you know, and he very much followed in that Nike spirit of Michael Jordan and... And um, from that point on, people felt like they owned him. Mm. And so it didn't matter what happened on pitch or off pitch, they owned all of him. And if it didn't fit with their values or the way they sort of s- saw uh, what they wanted him to be, then then it put a dent in his brandability, I guess, to create a word. And, um, and it put a dent in his audience, especially women. Women at that time when I was writing it were not happy with with him because he's a womanizer and, a, uh, you know, that he was seen as a womanizer and that was something that rubbed people up the wrong way. But at the same time I was like I wanted to interrogate why do we care mm. and why are we so angry about this and why does he represent, kind of like Steve Irwin did at the time too, everything that makes us proud and, and embarrassed to be Australian. So that was a good idea for me to write and also because it's a, it's a hero story about a guy who, like me, just sort of fell ass backwards into having this sort so of true. this yeah. talent. So true. And um and there were no sort of spin bowlers before. And there's something about spin bowling where it's like there's a, there's a before you get it right, yeah. there's a lot of Ooh, failure yes. and you need a lot of love and a lot of support. God, this the relationship between him and his bowling coach, TJ, um, Terry Jenner, yeah. was really interesting because Terry Jenner was a sort of like a reformed guy had gone to jail for embezzlement or fraud or something. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so he saw a lot of the good and the bad in in Warney when he and 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 Warney was his redemption. You know that's an amazing story. Um, also the the um, the coming out and bowling the gadding ball. I mean that was just sort of something that completely rewrote the rules of things and about what bowling could be. And it went from being about this war of attrition of just fast, 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 and um, into being. 
much more mysterious. Mm. And suddenly there's um and and Shane talked about this a lot. This sense that you've got to create a theatrical sense that something might happen even when it's not. <laughs> yep. And I I was like, well, I can identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshitting people. <laughs> And then there's also getting what getting what you want, but not getting everything you want. You know, so we look. He got a lot, but he was never the captain of Australia, and that no. and that, and I think that's that really. I think that really hurt him. Obviously, I don't know him, yeah. but you can tell from the way, but particularly how he looks at Steve War and think mm. he looked at Steve War from that issues and. That, yeah. that wasn't – it's not a good feeling or that's not a – that's a fractured relationship that will never be fixed because of that, I feel. And we go on historically we look back at a life, especially one person who's been like a little bit, you know, um, divisive and has made a lot of mistakes and have made a lot of them publicly and and and, and carries on. I think we we really warm to those people eventually. Eventually. Yeah. When it suits us. <laughs> when yeah. Morney passed away and it was so sad and such a strange – Day because I, I would have been strange for you, I'd imagine. It was really, it was really strange because I, I spent so much time thinking about him and playing him as a character and reading about him and reading his writing and the way he thinks and and I, and I thought that you know um, the public hadn't really sort of seen exactly who he was and so part of my motivation was to sort of address that, but also to go, you know what, so what, you know. Uh, he, he, as long as you're not evil and as long as you're accountable to the people that you have sort of trespassed against, actually trespassed against in your actual life, then the rest of it is like whatever I think a little bit. And, um, I, yeah, I just thought he was such an interesting, an interesting chipped, flawed sort of hero and and he spoke a lot about how you know I don't know who's writing my scripts, but you know, and and that, <laughs> that was interesting. That because because what he's saying is that you know a lot of it is is luck and fate or yeah. whatever, yeah. however you want to put yeah. it. And it did feel like he was drawn into this incredible story that was almost like, you know, he 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 broke both of his legs when he was a little kid and had to wheel himself around on one of those Dickensian boards with wheels. Hello, my love, and. It's very real possibility that that strengthened his wrists and shoulders in a way that allowed him to be able to turn the mm. ball that way. I mean, how weird is <laughs> that? A guy pulling, kid pulling himself around on a little trolley. Um, so, so much of that stuff, I just immediately felt musical and theatrical to me. So I was yeah. like, "That's great." Yeah. Do you know if he did? He like the musical? Yeah, he did. He didn't like the idea of the musical, and he was yeah. trying to sell a new book, Warns One Hundred, I think it was called, a book about his top one hundred cricketers of all time. And every time he fronted up to the media, they um, they were like, "You're going to go to Warning the Musical," and he would always say the same thing. I feel like they shouldn't be allowed to do that. It's terrible. What about my book? Yeah, <laughs> it's, well, it's like it's you well get... loved by the public, wasn't it? Yeah, but yeah. he he ended up coming. He was supposed to be in Mumbai, but the Mumbai terrorist attacks happened, mm. and so he came to the second ever preview, which is the second ever public performance. Of the show, and I and I knew it was coming because oh. Kevin White, who produced it, just came backstage <laughs> and he was like, "He goes, oh, uh, you wanted to know, but Warney's in." And I was like, "Oh my god!" So all through the show, I'm just like, "I'm like, oh god, oh god, I have to do this bit. He's gonna hate this." <laughs> I'm in my undies with an inflatable penis being chased around. But I'm like, "Oh god, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." Oh god! And then afterwards, the Kevin came, the producer came back and he was like. Uh, Put your pants on. Warren wants to meet you. <laughs> Put your pants on. And I was like, 
I just wanted to run away, but I'd spent three years writing a musical about Warnie. I was like, I can't. Right. So I met him and his manager, James Erskine, at, at Il Bacaro. And when I walk into it's in it's on like um little Collins Street in the city, back behind the Athenaeum and we're performing. And I'd gotten changed, but I still had peroxide blonde hair. I've been I got, I got a spray tan every three days. <laughs> so I'm like very dark brown. And then I had to walk in and dress as like as Shane. a Shane Warren impersonator and meet <laughs> Shane Warren. And so that was crazy. But I was like, I have to own up to this moment. And he really liked it. And he came really? to opening night. Amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, within five minutes of meeting him, he's telling me all this secret stuff that I'm like, I don't think you should be telling me. <laughs> I need to go back your... and put this in the musical. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It was crazy. Yeah. He came to opening night and he came to the after party and he spent heaps of time talking to people. I talked to my dad for like. An hour and my dad was stoked and he was just a delight. A lovely, a, a lovely guy. What a legend. Very, very sad how yeah. young he was when he passed away. It's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Have we, we got anything going at the moment? I know on the phone you said you got a, plenty of things going on yeah. always. But. Always writing. So I've got three shows I'm writing at the moment. Two are for, uh, uh, with American creative teams and will start their lives in all of their development in um, New York. And then the other... One is an Australian musical which I've been commissioned to write by my old drama school, West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, and I'm developing that with their students. So we started this year with their first-year students and it's a three-year course. So I'll do two more workshops with them when they're in their second year and in their third year we rehearse it and we put it on and it's a new, brand-new musical with a new concept set in the um, the Tivoli circuit of 1954, which the Tivoli sort of predates our modern theatre and in Australia was a was kind of it was our word for variety. So the UK had music hall tradition and America had vaudeville and Australia had um, the TIV, which was, um, you know, a, a night at the Tivoli was like anything. It was, you know, it was singing, dancing, had an orchestra, it had comedians, it had um, jugglers, ventriloquists, um, animal training acts, um, acrobatics, it was quite extraordinary. Sometimes they, they would cover the stage uh, in an ice rink and do the whole show on ice and and it happened at all of our theatres. The Tivoli Theatre doesn't exist in Melbourne anymore. It burnt down and is now just exists as an arcade, which is pretty much uh, with a bit of a white elephant. I think not much goes on in there. Um, so it's part of Australian theatre history I didn't know much about but I've been studying it a lot and um, – it's been great to work on that with the students because it's their theatrical history we're dealing with. Maybe you could debut in that. Oh, look out. You're not in stage WA, mate. WA, yeah. I could get over there if it meant I'd get out on stage. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, all right. You'd put well, it up as a tree, would you? Like, well, you this both? is a, literally the kind of show where anything could happen. You've got an act. you got an Perfect. act. Put it on. <laughs> That's all I need. <laughs> um, one other question. We're probably almost done, but um, I'd love to know, is there something that for both of you, that you're most proud of? So whether it's work, maybe one sort of work-related and one life-related, but, yeah, something that you look back and you go, that was something that, you know. Um, I think I'm pretty proud of the kind human I am. Oh, that's good. Um, I was very badly bullied at high school. I hated high school. Oh, that sucks. That did suck at the time. But then I do believe it shaped me to become who I am. Yeah. Um, and I sort of had, when I was away in the NT, this time round for nurses on location, you know, mother guilt is a real thing. You know, you feel guilty about anything and everything, you know. 
You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. When I was in the NT, um, I'd actually had a choke on a joint one night and I was in my little caravan of 180 caravans on a cattle station 300 metres from Darwin. Jesus. 300 kilometres, sorry. I remember lying there thinking, if I had a daughter, even though I've got two sons, or if I was my daughter, what would I think of what she's doing with her life right now? And I was like, I'd be pretty proud following mm. her dreams and, you know, just because a lot, a lot of males work and travel yep. but it's not really the mum thing to do and I feel like over the past I've maybe not on purpose or maybe I've just viewed that people have judged me. Mm. But, um, you know, and my husband's awesome. He, you know, the kids were great. He's always allowed me to follow my dreams and... I think I'm proud of proud of who I am. It's very good. Yeah. So it's not always uh, – that's a very hard that's, one. It's normally to say you're proud of something else when you yeah. can actually relate that back to yourself. That's really mm. powerful, particularly where you've come from. Yeah. Do you mean like bullying is such a horrible thing and unfortunately it still happens yep. mm. um, and I don't see it not happening. But, you know, sharing stories like that and being able to actually say that you yep. are proud of the person you see in the mirror. Mm. And it's not always – you know, rainbows and puppy dogs because I've certainly had some epic mental health um, dips or challenges mm. over the journey as Potsy knows a bit about. And um, But I think, yeah, just get up every day and put one foot in front of the other and, you know, we can only do the best mm. we can do and yeah. as long as you're a kind human. I think like going through something really traumatic or, you know, whether it's bullying or, you know, receiving that yourself, as you said, it's shaped you for who you are today because you, like I get the feeling, you just never want to put anyone else through anything never, like that. Yeah. or And you can understand other people who are going through really tough things yeah. better than most because you felt it yourself and you can yeah. relate. And I think that's a really, I don't know, it's like it's the silver lining mm, from is. going through something like that. But I've, I've had to to... Um, you know, find an even keel over the journey because I found that, you know, growing up I would kind of deflect that by giving out all my kindness to others. Mm. That would give me a kick and feel good. But I never left enough in the bucket for myself. Mm. Whereas now at the ripe age of 41 I feel like I've got it pretty well balanced. I've got, you know, my family and my husband and my kids are my, you know, first and foremost. But I've got my Morty Sea Dippers, I've got Mm. my... You know, and I, I'll always be there to help people, but not at the detriment of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's really smart. Yeah. Thank you. That's it's really a lot smart. easier to say that, but to actually get yeah. that clarity and yeah. be able to realise that, yeah. that's amazing. It takes mm. people a lot longer. Some people don't ever get that. Yeah, yeah. You know, at 41, you still got so half a life. I'm so young. Yeah, you, I mean, <laughs> you, you You seem like a, an outgoing person, but do you, would you say, where do you get, do you get your energy when you're with other people? Do you get kind of recharge when you have time away from people i think i definitely get it i'm a people person mm. love being around people and new people and you know um but i'm also very good at you know having time for me like if i you know as a mum again getting back to mother guilt i remember you know i used to have a nap in the day and feel so guilty because there's so many things to do but if i'm tired and i've worked hard the day before and i've you know i could I, i'll have a nap if i'm tired as long as, you know, everything yep. else around me, all my ducks are in a row. Um, and things like we've got a, a holiday place down at Cape Patterson and if I want to go down there for a night. Um, and I, I also love being my own company. Yeah. You know, listening to music. So I think a bit of both. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I think I'm quite similar in the sense of like love being around people and meeting new people. But 
like recently I've sort of had a little bit of a like you know just a bit of a tough couple of weeks because I feel like I put so much on my plate like I probably haven't quite worked out that like having time to myself yet and you mix that with working and then partying and then a whole lot of different things and like it just smashed me a couple of weeks ago and um so then I guess for this month I sort of cancelled a whole lot of shit and just freed up my schedule and tried to keep it that way rather than like I'd get to Thursday and if I had nothing on the weekend, I'd book a whole lot of shit, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like I just needed something all the time. Whereas I'm trying to start to learn and realise really like to have that little, like it's okay if you have a Saturday on your own and mm. you can just get everything organised and clear your mind. And I think when you have like things like setting time aside to get things mm. organised sets your week up yep. as well. Yeah. Um, and time on your own, yeah, I think. Important. Mm. Give yourself that permission. Yeah, no one else is. No one else is going to do it for you. No mm. one else keeps no. you, makes you do all these things. No. We think we have to, but when you can say a prayer to the person you see, or you give yourself permission, everything changes. Mm. Yeah. Um, Eddie, what about you, mate? What are you? Because you've obviously, if <laughs> I walk past the front door and I've never seen a bigger hat rack, you obviously wear that. <laughs> you wear that many hats. You've got how many hats? Is that a, <laughs> is that a, is that a hat rack? I don't even think there one. I didn't look, but if there was. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? It got me. It got if me. If there was a hat rack, it'd well, be funny. full. It'd look, be I'm full. not a hat guy. I'm a hair guy. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. You're saying, no, I'm it. trying to make a joke. You do so it. I'm not the comedian here. <laughs> no, no. I'm like, Stay in your lane, Dave. I'm a very literal person. I'm like, I've got fucking hats. I've got Like, wow. Where are they? I won't say any more jokes. No, I'm actually really happy with it too. Oh, and it just no, I'm disappointed locked. now. I'm like, I thought I had a whole bunch of hats I didn't know about. Uh, well, look, I, I, I think kind of fundamentally what I, I look back on and go, that was a good move. Um, they're, always, they're, they're always the really tough calls where you don't have enough information and you just got to choose A or B. When I was, a, when I was a, in year 12, just to rewind a little bit, my... Um, my literature, literature teacher, and I loved literature, and I love this. Um, it's some beads. Uh, yeah, boy. yeah. Trish Carroll. You got ducks of some beads. Is that I true? I did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, my, I've done a little geez. research. My lit teacher, yeah. Trish Carroll, was um, was fantastic. And as a, um, as a graduation thing, she gave me a card, and inside the card was a was a printout of the Robert Frost poem, "The Road." Less taken, do you know? Yeah, mm. road yep. less taken, road less travelled, road less travelled. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, One of them. Hats on the door. Same <laughs> and I remember going, "Wow, that's I really, uh, that's really profound way of looking at life of taking the taking the the road less travelled." And um, and I try, I did try and apply that to uh, to a lot of things. And I remember the most important one was I was out of drama school. I was doing my own solo comedy stuff, but what I wanted desperately um, was to be cast in a in a main stage professional show. I felt like that would validate all of the study I'd done, and that would mean that I was a professional actor, and that would be great. And I'd auditioned for Melbourne Theatre Company's production of the musical *You're in Town* that Simon Phillips was directing, and Simon Phillips is an amazing director that I'd always wanted to w- work with, and I and I eventually did get the chance to work with, and I was put on what they call uh, on hold, which means you haven't got the gig, but they haven't decided if they're going to release you yet. They're still trying to work out the makeup of the cast. And at the same time, the deadline to um, uh, to register a show in the Melbourne Comedy Festival was looming and I'd never done the Melbourne Comedy Festival, but I did have a show that I wanted to do in it. And 
I was like, if I register, I'd pay, you know, 350 bucks, which was a lot of money for me at that time to be in this thing. And then I had to pull out to do Melbourne Theatre Company. But then if I don't get Melbourne Theatre Company and I don't register for comedy, then I'd got nothing. I'm like, what do I do? And so I was like, you know, you just need to, you need to go with what you do. You know, you write, you've written a show, don't worry about Melbourne Theatre Company, do your show, which was insane really. I mean, I didn't have the gig, but at the same time it was insane to go, oh, I'm going to do this thing where I'm registering as part of this comedy festival where there are like hundreds and hundreds of shows. I've never done comedy festival before. I have to pay to do it. I have to pay a band to do it with me. I have to pay a publicist to try and let people know it's on. I don't know any comedians. I don't know anything. But I did that and that experience was, was really transformative because I met a whole bunch of comedians. Um, the show did really well, won a bunch of awards. I got a really great manager who I really liked and respected out of that. And my entire career went off on this trajectory of being a person who makes their own work that then can dip in and do other things. So that was a very big decision for me. And I, I think about that whenever I, I have this theory that, you know, and other people, I don't know whether this is like a superstition or whether this is, I don't know what where to place this, but... Every time if I'm making my own work and we're getting up to a point of like it's time to try and take a risk and put that work on, another idea that I don't have to work for comes in the door and it's like we're going to pay you this money or you have to just turn up and you'd be on stage and it'd be really fancy and look really good and it's like a temptation to abandon your plans to go over here and I'm always like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do my own my own work. And so I'm I'm proud that I've stuck it with that philosophy because it's really paid off and it's gotten me yeah, to where I, yeah, it's, it's really, and, and to be honest, it's like, I just, um, it's way better than auditioning or being in the ensemble of something because now people sort of know what my skill set is and can go, Oh, we want to work with him. or We don't want to work with him. And it's easy, you know? Mm. Yeah. Isn't it, uh, isn't it funny that Easier. you look back on that? It's normally that first thing you do. Like if you had it just got in that play or the Melbourne theater company, then you may not have had to like. Yes, you're doing something, but you may not have had to put yourself so far out mm. and really back yourself. Yeah, yeah. Because then all these other out. skills wouldn't have come mm. through. Because you would have taken not the easy option, but you would have got that, and it wouldn't have been another option. I know. That's that sliding doors moment. I mean, Do you ever think of that? Like, yeah, all yeah. the time. And even the show that I did put in Melbourne Comedy Festival, I first did at Chapel Off Chapel, and I remember booking the venue for the two nights, and I remember how much that cost. It was eleven hundred dollars, which sounds like a tiny amount of money. Now, but at the it's time, eleven hundred. <laughs> well, you know, in terms of like to book a theatre yeah. for two nights, I was like, so it's like five hundred and fifty bucks a night, which is pretty good. I don't think their rates would be the same now. <laughs> yeah. But that was like, oh my god, what am I doing? I'm going to put this show on, and no one's going to come. I'm going to lose all this money. So you're kind of confronted with that as a young person. How do you back yourself? And um, so I'm, I'm proud that I've always been in my own corner in that way and it's led to a much more interesting and rich life but you can't whenever you everyone sees the results of people's choices but when you go to make the choice you you don't have all the information in front of you so it is always a calculated risk you know it's hard Mm. so true yeah it's easy to look back on it and say oh that was the right decision but at the time who knows yeah i'd go like oh i'm proud of going to new york and, and and writing musicals but that was my wife that my wife was like, you need to – I'd just finished doing Strictly Ballroom and I was lamenting the fact that Australians don't make musicals and I'm like, I'm never going to get to write a score and collaborate with people. And, and my wife, Lucy, was like, just buy a ticket to New York and go. And I'm like, but I don't 
know anyone or know anything. But just, <laughs> you know, I have kids, having a wife that's like, I will look after the family for two weeks, maybe three times a year while you just go to New York and try and get on that great big rider list in the sky. I mean, that that was an incredible that was a risky thing that I did and I'm proud of that, but I'm mostly proud that I have a, mm. a wife that is that amazing that she... And I've met Lucy and she... You've always spoken very highly of I can't her. Be, I can't be too proud of being with her. It's because it's not pride. It's more like kind of luck, I really think. <laughs> I just, you're you falling backwards. Lucky. Very lucky. I think you're going yeah. well above your average. I know. I know. <laughs> she is, she's pretty amazing, Lucy, though. Yeah, it's, just, even it's been really... Yeah, it's been really lucky. Mm. And choosing your life partner, as you know, is like the is like the most important thing we do. And God, we do it in such a cavalier way a lot of the time. But um, having the right person with you to share your life that allows you to take risks and to change and to you know change careers or Evolve, you know yeah. yeah to have to, to be able to like go oh this is not there's no money in this but I want to do this and that's been really. Lucky we're Lucy and I are in, in I suppose too because 20 years ago you're not the same person as you are now and mm. neither is anyone and to evolve as marriage mm. couples, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, to we allow people to change and. Yeah, totally. I mean, we just we're, she Lucy's really into horses. She rides a lot and she's studying psychology. She's doing placements and. Um, I'm really busy riding and our thing now is like we we have to we have to consciously try and be sort of social and make friends because every spare minute we're like oh i could be writing a song or she's like oh i could be riding the horse you know mm. and that includes even spending time with each other and yeah. two kids oh yeah we've got kids. <laughs> <laughs> two girls <laughs> yeah they're right <laughs> they're independent now they're sorted oh my god the 14 year old is like 28 <laughs> living in a, Par- a paris apartment in her mind so every- <laughs> Everything else that refutes that fact is very annoying to her. <laughs> but that's, I think that's, the, that's being 14. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, uh, thank you both so much for being on the show. And, it's a pleasure. Uh, what a lot, a, of, uh, a lot of good lessons, I feel. And I, I think the biggest one is believe in yourself. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> I, I just, there's so much more. You cannot talk about that enough. Like just to have that confidence to believe in yourself. Oh, easy, yeah. to, easy to say. Easy and, and done. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I think it's interrogate the stories you tell about yourself yeah. because and and be honest about what is true and what is just a story you story you tell mm. yourself because we all live with that a narrative. We're like living the movie of our life and our narrative. We're good at some things and bad at other things, and I don't. I, I, I don't know how much of that story is really ever true. Yeah. That's what, and it's great to do the work and talk to other people and talk to a professional about that. I find like talking to my psych, that's when I get a lot of perspective and clarity on that side of things because you do have this your own view of things and once you speak to someone who's, you know, separated from your life and all the characters in it, it's like that gives me a lot of perspective and clarity. So... If you want to be on stage, it's it's actually really easy. I think you could do Is that it? really. Yeah, oh, that's all. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's all he was coming here for. He's like, yeah. <laughs> put that in writing. Yeah, there okay. are the there truth. are many ways to be on stage, okay. and oh, there are many different his, stages well, to look be at his on. Face is going all red. Getting a little around here. Oh, there's a bit of movement going on. <laughs> um, 
I mean, I, ha- I haven't even asked you to play the piano. Well, yet. I was, was going to say I've That'll always come. wanted to be serenaded, so. So. <laughs> serenaded as in music, singing. My, are we on I'm the same boat? Wrap it up there. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the same boat. But no, thank you both. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, great episode, and uh, yeah, as as always, let us know what you thought. Yeah. Give us your questions out there, and um, we'll be back next week. See you guys.